The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. Good morning, good morning, good morning, everyone. It's Sunday morning, it's 7.30, and it is time for the gardening show. So welcome. We've got a lovely show lined up for you this morning. We'll be talking landscaping. We'll be talking lots of plants that I don't know anything about. And I would like to welcome to the studio landscape designer Loretta Childs and fungi and bulb and everything else expert Greg Balderston. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. Yes, Greg always uh, brings in a ream of plants and I think to myself, ooh, what am I going to learn about today? Always need to make sure there's enough to something to talk about in case no one calls in too. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, Jacob, our producer, is here so he will be taking calls uh, later in the show. So hopefully we'll be getting some people calling in and talking about veggies and um, what's going on in their gardens. I have to say that uh, I am already mentally moving into July um, because as my role as Hort editor for the magazine, we've just put to bed our June issue and have started popping in stories for July. So living in the future. I'm living in the future. And I'm like, I was driving in this morning thinking, yeah, winter, yeah, what are we getting in the gardens now? And then I'm like, hang on, still halfway through autumn. <laughs> yeah, it has been a bit of a, you know, a sudden winter is here. It feels more like winter. The autumn seems to have floated by. You know, really, in, it's sort of with the season, mm. feels very, very swift. It felt like that with the with spring as well. It's like we didn't really sort of even have a summer. It just felt like spring continued on for quite a while, and then we had mm. what um, was trying to be summer, and then now, yeah, moved quickly into cool weather. It's up on up on Mount Macedon. The the autumn colours up there are crazy. Uh, are, well, they're a bit stretched out. Uh, this year, a couple of years ago, I think it was quite warm in summer, mm. and then we got some really cold weather, mm. and everything coloured up at the same time and dropped its leaves. So it was an amazing autumn, but it was compressed into a week or so. Um, this year seems a bit more uh, where where things have already dropped their leaves completely, and other things are still green. So um, it's a slightly maybe a little bit different up there. Uh, with, with the autumn colour coming on, it's sort of stretching out a little bit more this year as far as the colour goes from in tree to tree. Yes. Um, but uh, it, it won't last long, I don't think. It's, I think another three weeks or so and a few more cold snaps and there won't be much left around except for the things that come from really cold climates. <laughs> How long have you lived there, Greg? Uh, I've, I, well, I live in Romsey now, but mm-hmm. I've, I grew up in Mount Macedon, so I was born 
born and raised up there, I guess, yeah. Fantastic. So you've seen the different cycles and have you noticed changes in um, what the trees are doing in terms of um, climate change? Yeah, I I think it's a lot drier than it was when I was a kid. I I also, um, I remember walking to school. uh, So the house I grew up in was about 750 metres above sea level. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember walking to school and watching kids ski down the road past me on the way to school. Okay. Um, There was at least one major snow event every year Mm -hmm. and that doesn't happen quite anymore. rare now isn't yeah. it yeah yep. it's a, it's it's a, an event that people talk about if yeah. it happens uh, and again another a couple of times i remember you know being snowed in for two or three days where you couldn't drive up and down mount Macedon road gosh <laughs> and, and kids were skiing to school and um the rare events still back then but a rare event now that it's actually snows not not how much it snows but yeah that it, that it snows so um yeah it's 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 a little different Mm. Um, but as far as the gardens go, I, I think things like roadies and stuff are probably being planted less. Mm-hmm. So, um, a lot of the older gardens, uh, roadies and camellias and azaleas and those sorts of things. And I don't think there's nurseries producing that stuff on big bulk anymore anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Forest Glade probably bought. I think kept one of the big roadie growers in business for about 10 years okay. with, with all the rhododendrons they bought for that place. But, um, uh, yeah, I think a lot of the newer gardens or, or younger gardens are buying from Stephen and, and the other local nurseries or Bunnings maybe, I yeah. don't know. And what's um, going in more? Uh, I, I don't know that I've seen a lot of the newer gardens and mm-hmm. what they're doing, but I, I think a lot of them are, um, probably aren't long-term gardens it's Mm -hmm. people planting for them um and often you don't think about what's going to be there in 100 years that's that's an interesting point so do you think that has changed over the years like people i I think so yeah for instance the the garden i grew up in was planted in the 1870s maybe even the late 1860s the first trees um and recently that property sold and they bulldozed the whole garden (gasps) and the garden actually had a history as well. Uh, the the guy who planted it was the head importer for Taylor's and Sangster's Nursery, which mm-hmm. at the time was easily probably the biggest nursery in Australia. Um, and there was some really interesting stuff in there. But just the age, you know, there's rhododendrons that were um, 40 feet tall and 60 feet wide, and they literally just run them over with an excavator and flatten them to the ground. And it'll be interesting to see what they plant back there, but... I've got a feeling it'll be box hedges and silver birch. That's, <laughs> something, that's something very depressing. Pretty, you know, like, yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what goes back in there. Um, but I'm not sure why you would bulldoze history like that of any kind, whether it's native forest or, um, you know, something that's been there for that amount of time. You can't just replace stuff like that. No, it's, you no. can replace a perennial border and you can replace a veggie patch. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's something that's been there that long. It's a bit harder to replace. It's interesting you say that in respect to sort of 40-odd years ago, my sister bought in the Dandenongs and had an extraordinary garden there. Um, at that time, still roadies and things were mm. very much sort of part of it. And before they moved in to build, um, they had a lot of – well, once again, those sort of rhododendrons, like absolutely massive – 
But um, the property was accessible and people came in and they were stealing Mm. Um, and digging up and they were not going to survive no. most of the things. But you wouldn't believe what they dug up. Um, since then, she, I mean, she continued with the garden and built an incredible garden. But it's interesting now to sort of think about them not not really planting that sort of thing anymore, isn't yeah, it, you yeah. know? Yeah, and after she moved out, the next people um, well, pretty much was, did what um, has happened. Well, it. yes, they, yeah. they were from Queensland and they came in and they... The things they took out, I mean, they took out a sequoia that I can't even tell you the height of the sequoia. Um, it was one of the first things planted and it was an old guest house in the Dandenong, so similar to Macedon. And, um, yeah, they, they took out um, numerous uh, sequoia, the coitsia that she'd been growing for 40 years um, the, uh, and a lot of oaks and to put in a swimming pool, of course, mm. which uh, – and then they sold four years later. Yeah. And they were happy to do. I think there was sort of some heritage cover. They, the money, money wasn't a problem. No, because you it know, just goes into the budget, and, it goes and they into probably the won't get in trouble for it anyway. I mean, mm. yes. um, there were two, I think two, at least two trees registered in the National Trust in this garden. Yes, and I don't, I'm pretty sure that wasn't. <laughs> and who knows if the National Trust knows that they're gone or can do anything about it anyway? But yeah. as you say, it would have been factored in. Yes, to the budget anyway. Um, on the other side, though, I actually visited one of the Old Hill Station Gardens up there last week. Uh, I was sort of self-invited up a little <laughs> okay. bit um, to, to a garden I actually hadn't been in ever, I don't think. Um, uh, so it's up in one of the really steep-sided valleys, and I think the house was built in the early 1880s, and the garden was planted about the same time. And the people that own that have cleaned it up because it had been let go for a long time. And the thing you've got to remember with those old gardens is letting them go does less damage than pretty much anything else you can do. Um, most of the trees in those old gardens will survive having blackberries and all sorts of things through them. Um, but over-clearing is really hard to fix mm. or, you know, cutting things down because you don't know what it is or... Yes. And, and people get a bit panicked, don't they? They think, mm. oh, this is a mess. We'll just It'll look really clean and tidy. Yeah. And they, they're not aware of what's in and it, in the garden. Yeah. And to get people in like yourself um, to sort of have a bit of a look around and say, that's worth saving. That's yeah. I mean, I do that in landscaping too, where we're going to sort of look at an, a fresh sort of approach to say, well, let, let's just have a look at everything in the garden and what is worth saving. And yeah. I mean, I can be a bit brutal too but only look generally if i'm brutal it's about something that's going to be a bit of a pest yeah yeah you know i mean cotoniaster for example (laughs) you might see a big old cotoniaster but you know we're not going to hold on to it yeah some things have uh, a little bit more value than others Mm. uh, depending on yeah but but it was nice to see these these uh this couple had bought this beautiful old garden for what it was Mm. and they'd cleaned it up but they'd also added to it in a in quite a few new ways that actually lent itself to the original idea of the garden. Mm-hmm. So they've they've put these um, beautiful fruit cages and and veggie patch netting in in the same in a similar style to what the house is built in, and um, you know they're using the old tennis court to build a glass house in the future, which because sunlight's very uh, very rare resource when you're on a mm-hmm. you know a southeast facing. Uh, really steep-sided gully on, on the slopes of Mount Macedon. Yeah. So, um, 
and planting beautiful woodland plants and yeah it's 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 nice to see someone take something like that and not just let it be what it is but actually mm. add something to it that fits in and and doesn't detract from anything and doesn't yeah uh take any of those old trees away and uh but yeah i i, I think if i had a block up there uh i'd be going for the forest now i'd try and get a block just with native forest on it yep. and you don't have to do any gardening then you can yeah. just go and enjoy it yeah and, and that's so true isn't it if you put, pop in indigenous plants yep. they after a while they tend to take care of themselves you create an ecosystem yeah. and that's how it works yeah. it's a, it's uh self-generating and self-healing and and you can just spend time out there enjoying all the little bits and pieces going on in the For undergrowth sure. yeah. and, and try and um sort of Remember that you don't need to clean up everything all the time because isn't that just, um, you know, something that is almost inbuilt in us and you you think, oh, you don't want to upset the neighbours by having grass that's too long or you, you have to whippersnip around the tree when in actual fact, why do you have to whippersnip grass around the tree? Just let it go up a little bit and give a little bit more habitat to those mm. areas and provide a bit of cover for, for creatures. So it's about thinking differently i think so it's not to say that you can't have all the plants that you want to have or have the style of garden but there certainly can be a bit more of a balance in in how we garden yeah i think nudging nature's a good way of gardening Mm. rather than controlling it fiercely and i like that nudging nature (laughs) (laughs) sounds like a book title to me it does doesn't it yeah yeah And, and so in terms of um that particular garden is that something that you will advise on uh no i think uh steven steven's helped them out mm-hmm. with all their uh, and um so after me Stephen ryan yeah yeah yep. uh and uh i think the owners know what they're doing mm-hmm. like they're, they're really into what they're doing fantastic and um they get good advice and they mm-hmm. take it and yep. they build on that and um yeah, I think they've they've already done a really good job, but I think they've got more plans yet. Uh, and as I say, it shows you can get one of these old gardens and add to it rather than what does happen a lot is you know you, you especially when people have just moved in, it's good to live there for a year and just see what everything mm-hmm. does and where mm-hmm. everything is and where the sun comes up and yeah. goes down through the year. Um, and what and, comes up and goes down yeah, in, yeah. Terms, in terms of plants. Um, and so often, yeah, you get just like that's going to drop a leaf in the gutter, so I'm going to cut the whole thing down. <laughs> yes. And then it's baking hot yes. in summer now because there's nothing protecting from the northwest or, mm. you know, there's, uh, yeah, things are a little bit more complicated. And as I say, if something's been there for a long time, it's hard to replace. Yeah. There's lots of things that aren't. It's easier to replace a house than a tree. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is. And I love you saying that because <clears throat> I live with a builder. And, um, you know, it's the same with building a garden or building a home. If it's an extension or what, just go and buy the home, move in, see what the garden does, and even renovating the home. See mm. how you live in the home, you know. Yeah. I think it's so important. But I'll often say um, when, when something gets sort of cut back accidentally by a bobcat mm. or something, you know, run yeah. over. Accidentally, and, in inverted yeah. commas. <laughs> <laughs> and I sort of say to myself, oh, I, I'll, that's taken me 10 years to get to that point, you know, and that, oh, it's only a branch or, yeah. but 
oh, gee, I, I get really frustrated. You can go and build anything you like with some timber and whatever and it's up mm. and that's it. Yeah. But, um, doesn't happen the same way you can't no, can't nail the branch no. back on. It's no. a really you'll often hear a little scream in the garden, <laughs> <laughs> and then he'll disappear. But uh, the opposite of that is so is natural decay of trees, mm. and um, like often if I see one of the big old trees out in the forest that's just freshly fallen over, you know you shed a bit of a tear and you go oh poor thing, but then. It's still got another 50 years on the forest floor producing fungi and insect yep. habitat. Absolutely. <laughs> so yep. it isn't over yet. It's only dead in our yeah. eyes. And same in the gardens too. Like, you know, you have a windstorm and a yes. branch breaks off. There's nothing yes. you can do about it. No. Um, and it might have ruined the shape of the tree, but if you think a bit before, further forward into the future, mm. it might have actually made the tree look more more interesting Yes. Uh, because of the loss of that branch yes. and or given something else a space. So... Well, we, it's just the wanton destruction of things without thought yeah, that, that's it. That, yeah. <laughs> that upsets me a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of um, you mentioned it being a hill station garden, could you sort of expand a bit on hill station gardens up there? And Yeah, so the basically the whole mountain pretty much was clear felled in the 1850s mm-hmm. to build Melbourne um, uh, or to build parts of Melbourne at least. Uh, and the denuded mountain was then sort of taken up by some of the wealthy people in Melbourne and they built basically holiday homes up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's quite a few of them at the time. There's not that many left now, but there's there's still a uh, – I'm not actually sure how many there are left, but I'd say somewhere between 10 and 20 mm-hmm. of these old uh, – some have got the gardens intact and mm-hmm. the houses have been burnt down or, or taken down and others, the houses are intact, but the garden's pretty well – you know, there might be a couple of trees left and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and so most of – so the house I grew up in was a worker's house. It's still, still a beautiful old house, but it's not ornate. It's just a really well-built weatherboard house that was for the uh, head nurseryman nurse tailors and sangsters. And then to look at one of these it's other – It's very big... fitting that you have it now, Greg. Well, I don't have it now, but I grew up in it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, yeah, and then you go and look at these other houses because even cheap houses back in the day were pretty well made. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, to go and look at uh, a garden like – or a house and garden like Sefton or Denira uh, or Durrell uh, and, and a couple of others. Alton's another one, you know, you, you – you sort of think you grew up in a nice house and then you see Alton and it's so ornate and mm-hmm. and um, the garden's so beautiful. Uh, so, that, yeah, there's oh, – and another good example is Cameron Lodge, which is a completely different style to house. Most of them were um, uh, – most of them were built, you know, sort of weatherboard, ornate sort of Victorian homes, I mm-hmm. guess. Yep. And uh, Cameron Lodge looks like uh, it's sort of American architecture. It's got columns and – and it's big and white and has columns and flat surfaces and and um, luckily enough a friend at primary school used to live there so I used to get to stay in Cameron Lodge and it was a real yeah real move out from the old weatherboard house with yep. uh, horrible wallpaper and brown paint <laughs> to this <laughs> thing that was you know not only in its day but still now amazing building yeah yeah. And a lot of um, people in the nursery industry lived up there, didn't they? Yeah, I think so. It's it's certainly 
Um, sort of like, in a way, it, it's a bit like the Dandenongs. There's sort yeah. of a, a real history of nursery people Yes, oh, definitely. And, yeah, yeah. Mm. So I think Taylor's uh, and Sanxter's nursery, like I said before, was probably one of the biggest nurseries in the Southern Hemisphere even. I'm not sure, but um, certainly a very big nursery up until the early 1900s, mm. and I think it remained open until about the 1950s. It was also one of the first gardens I ever worked in when I left school at 16, um, the lady that owned it. Uh, I, I sort of went down and helped to, you know, whippersnipping blackberries that were, you know, five, six metres high up, you know, covering a da- an old daffodil paddock and yep. whippersnip out all the blackberries. And then the following year, all these beautiful old uh, varieties of daffodils would poke up through the lawn and off they went again. Um, and, you know, there was a holly walk, which... Every holly was a different species or a different uh, different type of holly. Uh, I remember once we were looking down along the creek and found what looked like an old pond, but the creek had diverted around it so it mm-hmm. wasn't full of water anymore. And we spent a bit of time and gently persuaded the creek to go back into the pond. Yep. And it had stepping stones and they're all still level with the surface of the oh. water. And But it was like, you know, 50 years of decay and tree ferns yeah. and... Yep. and gum branches falling over it um but it was amazing to see this pond fill up and the stepping stones that went across it were still you know a centimeter above the surface of the water after all that time um there's like an about half an acre of rhododendrons that they used to use for propagation so they're only planted about a meter apart yep but of course they hadn't been pruned for about 100 years (laughs) so you couldn't see any of the roadies when they're in flower you just you could only tell what color they were when they started dropping flowers down onto the onto the floor underneath yeah and wow. do you did you prune them back was it, uh was the, the people it? that have it now did a lot of work yeah and again it was it's more these people knew what they had the um so jen who i used to work for there uh did as much as she could and then the people that have got it now did a lot of work yep maybe a little bit too much in some spots but they they knew what they had and they've really tried hard to um keep why it was special mm-hmm. the, the the property was special um so it's a lot more open now but uh they've tried to keep some of the really nice tr- old trees up there and and sort of keep what's worth keeping and and maybe fix up or slightly mm. push around things that have you know where there's trees fallen over or, or are dying or you know the, it's a big open space they've tried to plant things that go with what's what was there originally, mm-hmm. but just the most. I think out of any property that I know of, that's the one I would like to retire to. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's in a beautiful spot yep. too, in a gully, sort of down by itself, rich soil. It's just, mm. and it's down the end of the road I grew up on too. Yeah, fantastic. Um, really pretty property. Yeah. In terms of uh, really overgrown rhododendrons. What would you do with them? Do you pull them right back? Do you give them a really hard prune or yeah, do I, it in stages? I think um, if you prune 10 things back really hard, not all of them are generally going to su- survive. So there's always – you think something will survive and you cut it back really hard. I've seen it with petosporum hedges mm-hmm. where someone will go, oh, we need to control it, and you cut, them back, you cut like 20 of these things back down to stumps. Mm. And they all regrow except for two or one or um, – so I think roadies would probably do the same thing. But most of them uh, will reshoot the, – the bigger roadies, uh, the big tree roadies, um, most of them will reshoot. Some of them 
actually don't mind it at all mm-hmm. and will actually get a lot more vigour back. And, you know, three years after you chop it, you've now got a something that's already got back up to two or three metres tall yep. and starts flowering and bushing out. Uh, uh, we have to make these decisions at Forest Glade because uh, uh, Cyril, who paid for the whole thing, um, overplanted tremendously. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there'd be 40,000 roadies in there or something. And they're way too close together and they're also getting to the age where they're starting to outgrow each other, which means you've either got to make decisions of, like, do we cut this back, do we cut it out, mm. Which one is that one better or is this one worth keeping or yeah. do we chop that one out and leave this one? Um, but that's, a, that's okay. It's a better position to be in than wishing that 30 years earlier someone had planted more trees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and are they your decisions to make? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's the uh, – uh, almost my job description up there is, yeah, to decide on what's the future of the garden, like what's going to be here or, you know, if a, if a tree does come out or something, what are we going to plant back mm. there? Mm-hmm. Um, there were hydrangeas. You, last time we were on – you're talking about the beautiful hydrangeas that you were planting through somewhere up oh, there. Oh, in the Fern yeah, Gully? Yeah, 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 in the Fern Gully. Yeah, so I, th- I think over the, over the last two or three years I've propagated about, not, not all for, to plant in the garden because we sell a few up at the front gate as well, um, but I think I've propagated about 500 hydrangeas wow. just in the last wow. couple of years. Mm. And I've actually bought one of the, the ones I've planted down there. So there's a hydrangea aspira rocklon, which is one of the big um, hairy leafed hydrangeas. Yep. And they get to about four, five metres tall. Um, yep. Massive big flowers and big velvety green leaves. Mm. And uh, yeah, I've, I last year planted about 40 of those down there mm-hmm. just for something different. Yeah. So there's yeah. a big area that two gum trees sort of created in the June storms a few years back mm. and it's like, what do we fill that up with? That's yep. a big space. And yep. Heidi's was probably the easiest thing, so mm. there's lots of Heidi's in there. Beautiful. But different types of ones. And this year I've also pl- propagated about 200 white hydrangeas, yep. which I want to plant as a big patch of white hydrangeas so they're yeah. all white. And Beautiful. I- I'm sure there'll be one blue one in there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we'll deal with that when they when they get up. Um, we'll have to come up when they're at their best. I yeah, think. for sure. Yeah. Mm. Well, well, that's good. The good thing with Heidi's up there is they're at their best for quite some time. Mm. So um, It is a garden that's open to the public, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's open yeah. pretty much every day except for um, total fire band days. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can literally go up there any day and yep. it'll be open. And is um, there a plant list? So when people are, or are plants named up there? So there's a company called ArborSafe which checks the garden every year mm-hmm. um, and they've got a register of all the trees on mm-hmm. the property. Um, I'm not sure if it's publicly available, although it would be a good idea at some point if we could um, – like you probably make something where you when, while you're walking around the garden, yeah. it can tell you where mm-hmm. you are in the garden sure. what the trees are yeah. around you because we've got the information. It's just whether you can do that or not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a, a really in-depth uh, tree register on there that gives, you know, the, this company tells us the health of each tree and mm. what needs work and things like that. Uh, Steve and Ryan for the last few years has been helping helping uh, name all the rhododendrons or as many as we can, um, but because they flower over such an extended period of time, I think it'll probably take him about six or eight years 
to get all the ones that he knows. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stuff there that would be really hard to identify too, uh, just because it's a a lesser-known hybrid or something that doesn't get grown anymore. Yep. Um, mm. So there's a lot of stuff in there to name. Uh, yeah, so so the – but the, the, there is a tree list. I just don't think it's actually available anywhere yep. unless you ask, uh, you know, someone that works there. Yeah, like we, you. <laughs> so go, go Greg's there. there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I should probably get to some community announcements. Um, not too many to read out. Uh, today there is the Yarra Valley Plant Fair and Garden Expo, which is in full swing. And uh, Stephen Ryan is uh, the host or um, whatever you like to call it up there. And there's also, wandering around the place, will be Jane Edmondson, uh, Vasily, um, Paul, uh, Paul Kirkpatrick, Peter Tees, uh, there's a rare plant auction today at 2.15. There's um, heaps of groups up there like the Salvia Society, the Daffodils, of course Dyes Delightful Plants are selling stuff up there. I'm pretty sure our friends from Treasured Perennials are there. Uh, there's Seedscape Seeds, rivers, Riverdale, Irises, um, all sorts of things going on. And that's at 125 Quail Road in Wandon. So it's Q-U-A-Y-L-E. So 125 Quail Road, Wandon. It's open from 10 till 5. $17 for entry, 14 for concession and dogs are fine on leads. So that's um, we went to that. We went to the um, spring, the spring one. Yeah. Yes, I've yep. li- literally always forget what season I'm in. So <laughs> yes, we went to the spring, spring one, one. Had a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. Wandered yeah. around and yeah, there's plenty of people to talk to and um, lots to buy. And I didn't get my um, <laughs> monsteria my monsteria Thai <gasps> constellation. That which was very funny. I'd seen it. Ad- they'd put it up on Instagram. <laughs> that they had some for sale. So I was like, right, Loretta, we're getting there early. So we arrived there. I literally ran Drag me, gra- drag yeah, me. Dragged like. it, grabbed, <laughs> grabbed one, took it up to pay for it, paid for it without looking at it and then said, oh, I'll leave it here and pick it up on the way out. And then I paid for it with my phone. I sort of glanced at my phone as the receipt came through and it was like $600. Mm, I was going to ask how much it was, (laughs) was yeah. Oh, my goodness, I forgot (laughs) to check that. I forgot to check the price, so I did a quick, um, yeah. I was going to ask if if they're the ones that you get like a $300 cutting off Facebook that you you see on the Aroid Aroid groups. Someone will post, I've got a cutting of this and it's $300 just for a cutting with no roots on it. Yeah, (laughs) so I'm going to wait until everyone's got them and they come down to about $12 each. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I'm sure they've probably got them for sale there today if there's some keen buyers out there. Um, right, also today, Open Gardens Victoria Garden. Um, there's a garden in Talangi called Wing Spread. It's open today from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. It's at 1380 Myers Creek Road in Talangi. It's $10 entry for adults, $6 for students, and under 18 are free. When the owners purchased Wingspread 14 years ago, this two-hectare property consisted of an original cottage surrounded by paddocks of pasture. A new home constructed 12 years ago featured in Grand Designs Australia magazine. 
marked the start of the planting and planning of the garden and that you'll find today. It has kept the best of the original plantings from 40 years, 60 years ago around the cottage and incorporates them into today's garden of sweeping lawns and layered beds. Autumn is an amazing time in this garden with featured plantings of maples, tulip trees, hornbeams and many other cool climate deciduous trees and shrubs. Approaching a, via a tree-lined driveway, you'll find a parterre, kitchen gardens, formal avenue, arboretum, pool and tennis court with a great view as the bo- backdrop. And there'll be coffee and treats by the Wattle Tree Company, a handcraft stall and wine tastings and sales by Steels, Creek, Steels Gate Vineyard on both days. And the um, YAVA Gallery and Arts Hub will also be operating... We'll also be opening with some renowned local artists painting within the gardens. And the artists include Margaret McLaughlin, Amanda Ruck, Dye King, Beth Williams, Claire Bremner and Ying Tang. Uh, so that's Wing Spread at 1380 Myers Creek Road in Telangi. So that's today from 10 to 4. Uh, now the next one I'm reading is in Park Orchards and there is a double pass available so you can ring us on 94190155 and uh, speak to Jacob if you want the double pass for this garden. This is for next weekend the 29th and 30th of April. It's called The Park on the Park and it's at 630 Park Road in Park Orchards. The rich story of the park pays homage to the location and history of Park Orchards and Greater Melbourne and plays on the theme of bringing the outside in and the inside out. The native garden features approximately 14,000 plants and 70 established trees mixed with a handful of exotic plants and trees. Locally sourced honey granite rocks form a ridge wall extending from the front of the property inside the home and out to the backyard. A river cut from a section of the nearby Yarra River filled with aquatic plants and fish weaves its way through the living area, whilst two large waterscapes and tur- with turtles and fish are visible from most angles in the home. Um, please note access to the rare garden is through the home where visitors will be able to experience the indoor river and the external garden views. Uh, So this is $10 for adults, $8 for students under 18 free and you can buy tickets on the day or book them online and it's really worth hopping onto the Open Gardens Victoria website so you can see photos. This garden looks amazing and um, Loretta and I are going. She doesn't know that yet but Mm -hmm. uh, we go. It's gorgeous, absolutely beautiful garden. So Um, This is on the 29th and 30th of April, the park on the park. And then also at the same garden, there's um, on the Saturday, the 29th from 5.30 till 6.30, there's Twilight Highlights event at Park on Park, which is the Aquascapes Talk. Enjoy sunset in the garden with a twilight presentation and discussion highlighting the use of lighting and water in the garden and the principles of creating sustainable and unique aquascapes in your own garden. It's $42 and tickets are available online. There's only 30 tickets which are available and includes finger food and beverage. 
So that's um, the 29th and 30th of April. And if you go to Open Gardens Victoria, you can get more details. And, and they also do other things as well on mm-hmm. Open Gardens Victoria. So there's yep. lots of other events. I know there's a... Um, a compost making event coming up, so mm-hmm. we'll, we'll probably talk about that next week on the show, but um, that's coming up in Good May. Good day, the 29th. Yeah, absolutely. My birthday. Oh, it's your birthday, right. Right. We'll definitely have to go and have a little drink. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's the Open Gardens Victoria, and um, they actually had a garden at Mifkus this year, so the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show, and uh, it was the first garden that was designed and built by an all-female team, so all-female tradies, and um, it was Emma Shepherd-Sims who was the winning designer for that garden, and they created a beautiful, mostly native um sort of almost like a grassland type garden with a mm. bit of a walkway through it and uh, lots of beautiful flowers and grasses mm. and yeah so it was nice to um, see an all-female team really shine at the show um, and we might come back to the show actually and so did you go to the show not this year yeah, not this yeah, year yeah I only go when I work uh, help oh. out oh. for post office farm nursery, oh. and I couldn't make it this year because okay. I had my own little flower show on that weekend, oh. which I have to run. So, okay. um, yeah. Well, we're going to come back and talk okay. about that because I don't know about your flower <laughs> show. <laughs> All right. So this is one. It's not until May the twentieth and the twenty-first. This is the Yarra Valley Bonsai Club Show Day, and it's at Churnside Park Community Hub at thirty-three Kimberley Drive, Churnside Park. Um, it's their annual Yarra Valley Bonsai Show. It's on from 10 a.m. till 4 p.m. It's a two-day event which showcases a beautiful collection of members' trees uh, who are beginners through to master makers. Uh, you can see many styles, including formal upright trees, cascading varieties. Uh, there's some large ones and some small ones. Um, you can go and chat to people about the different techniques um, that they've used from ancient times and um, even more current trends. Uh, there's lots of Australian native bonsai trees. I've seen a bunch of them actually at the um, National Arboretum in Canberra. They've got an incredible bonsai display there mm. with lots of natives, including banksias, and mm-hmm. just blows your mind. Although I am in two minds about bonsai because I do feel sorry for the trees. But it's just like hedging. <laughs> it's like having a hedge in a pot. I know. Have you got any hedges? <laughs> Not really. No. Oh, okay. I live in the bush. Group. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I am don't want a hedge either, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always think. Um, Same. Oh, I hate similar. Torturing trees, and then oh, but I've got this nice hedge. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's good to know other people think I like I do. Anyway, Weird. back to the bonsais. Yes, Yarra Valley <laughs> Bonsai Club Show Day. It's a, a, a gold coin entry. Um, so there's lots to see, lots of people to talk to, and plants, etc., to buy and. Um, food so yeah that's on the 20th and 21st of may um so now i should open the lines if people haven't started calling in already um this is the gardening show if anyone was wondering after all of that and i'm ab bishop and i'm in the studio with greg balderston and loretta charles and we're talking all things landscape and um, all sorts of exciting things so feel free to ring in with a comment about what you're up to in your garden what you're planting in terms of veggies or what you're maintaining at the moment what you're 
April and May are going to look like. Um, so to talk to us on air, you can call 94190155 or you can text through a question on 0488 809 uh, You can't send a photo in, or you can, but we won't be able to see it. Um, so, yeah, just maybe be very descriptive with your text. Uh, otherwise, you can email us at 3cr.gardening at gmail.com and whoever's on next week will hopefully be able to get to your question um, and of course we're on Instagram and Facebook as well uh, which Liz takes care of for us so thank you to Liz uh, so there's all sorts of ways for connecting with us and um, one of the people who have connected with us via email is Lisa from Bendigo and Lisa listens to the podcast and she says um, it's a question about auriculars. And if everyone knows auriculars, I sort of did, but did have to look them up. Um, they're primulas, essentially, and uh, a lot of the um, more modern auriculars are, are hybrids, if I'm right. Very, very cute little plants. Anyway, she says, I have two, one with the farina on the leaves and the other just glossy leaves. I need to repot them as I believe what they are in now is not quite suitable and I'm having trouble finding good Australian information. And it was interesting that she said that because I hopped online and straight away, of course, it was everything from England. Um, and they, in England, they use a John... Innis is one of their compost mixes and it's actually a soil-based mix. So they have a focus on soil-based, what we would call potting mix in inverted commas, whereas we would have more of a bark-based mix pretty much for all of our mixes, maybe except for succulents. Um, and, yeah, so, of course, you can't get that here. And she's just wondering what, if anyone has any recommendations. She said, uh, could I possibly use a cactus succulent mix and add to, she currently uses a Tunga pink premium mix, which I had a look online. And again, it is a bark based mm. mix. Um, I didn't get flowers last year. I had buds, but then they dropped off, most likely due to drying drying out and heat would love to have flowers this year and I asked um, someone who writes quite a bit for the magazine Steve Falcioni and because he is a collector if you if you um, don't follow Steve on Instagram do hop on I'll remember his Instagram name in a minute um, but he's a collector of plants and he's got a huge balcony and <laughs> You just cannot believe the amount of plants that he fits on this balcony and his knowledge for all little things. He grows all sorts of unusual plants. So I immediately contacted him and I said, oh, Steve, do you grow auriculars? Um, what do you put them in? And he got back saying, actually, no, I don't because they need a bit more cold and they're a little bit too fussy. So I thought, oh, if they're fussy for Steve, then they're going to be fussy for most people. Mm. So... Do either of you two know about auriculars? Um, uh, so Dennis Norgate used to grow <laughs> auriculars mm -hmm. um, and he gave me a lot of them and I killed all of them. Uh, <laughs> right, there's the, no hope for us. The, 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 touch, <laughs> Sorry, Lisa, the touchy, touchy plant sort of thing <laughs> yep. was correct. It's uh, uh, For me anyway, they're, they're just, they were too much hassle and they're really hybridised and, and I'm not real big on over-hybridised mm -hmm. plants anyway. Um, Where is Lisa? Bendigo. 
Bendigo. It's <clears> nice <throat> and cold up there. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 but thing. I know people definitely in Victoria that grow them. I, maybe the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society might be worth having a look at because there's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of members up there that would be either into auriculars or would certainly know uh, how to grow them. Um, there's a, a local up at Mount Masson, John Flens, who I knew I know grew uh, auriculars for some years. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if he still does. Uh, but he can grow anything in a pot and probably better than I've ever seen anyone else grow anything in a pot. Uh, and he's on Facebook. Mm-hmm. He's got a, a, an open thing that where you can follow he's, what he posts on Facebook. Yep. Uh, and I think he's got an Instagram account too, although I don't know what that is. Yeah. So um, there'd certainly so, be a soil mix to follow via yeah, yeah. any of those people, wouldn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think too, often you're scared of making your own potting mix. Like if you know what sort of uh, medium that you need, you might be able to start reverse engineering it and actually make it yourself uh, from, you know, if you know what sort of conditions the roots need of the plant, then you might be able to find other things to substitute Mm. and make your own potting mix. I used to make my own potting mix with the bulbs a lot, Mm -hmm. mainly because I couldn't afford to buy a new potting mix. Yep. So I'd just sort of... Go, oh, that'll do and that'll do and mix up. But it often used to work really well. Yeah, well, it's interesting with the John Innes uh, compost, I I had no idea. Like, it is soil-based. It's loam-based and they sterilise the loam and then there's John Innes compost number one, two and three and number one has the least amount of fertiliser added and number three has the most. But it was just so interesting to me because I always said to people, oh, if you're planting in pots, always use potting mix because obviously soil acts differently in a pot. But I guess for plants that are going to be in there long term, maybe putting Mm. soil in is not Mm. such a bad idea. But of course, this is sterilised. So, but just being able Mm. to have that sort of good water retention and drainage at Mm. the same time from that loamy soil. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, very interesting. Oh, no, Jane Tonkin, thanks, Jane, has just texted in to say Steve Falcioni is the plant addict on Instagram, which makes total sense because he is an absolute plant addict, but <laughs> he's got fantastic information. And actually, while we're at it, I want to say um, also look up uh, Lindy Harris. Um, Jane, maybe you can tell me Lindy Harris's <laughs> Instagram because Lindy works at Karanga and she has the most incredible knowledge of native plants that you will ever meet. I used to follow her around like a puppy dog at Karanga and she would just throw out these incredible words of wisdom about native plants. And not many people follow her on Instagram because they don't know about her, but she has not only does she have a, a beautiful garden, somehow she manages to cram more and more plants into all the time, um, but she uses and knows about more unusual natives and has always got information about how to grow them and what to look at them in the wild or where to look at them in the wild and those sorts of things. So, uh, yeah, check out Lindy Harris. Mm. Uh, I think it's something like My Sweet Little Backyard or something Mm. um, for incredible information. Mm. Yeah, so she doesn't post any selfies. She's not one of these selfie people like so many are. I always find it quite amazing. There's so many people who are selfie people and have 
hundreds of thousands of followers mm. and really don't contribute anything. Like when I go onto Instagram, I really like to learn something. Yes. And then people like Lindy who have got this insane knowledge and hardly has any followers. So anyway, that's just um, my little thing. Ah, Chloe. Thanks, Chloe. Bush and Backyard, Lindy Harris. So, yeah. All right, well, mm-hmm. this is The Gardening Show, so please feel free to call in with a question or a comment, etc. Let's get on to you, Madam Loretta. Oh, what yes. You've been um, planting. Been fiddling. You've been fiddling. You've been yeah. creating a beautiful garden bed. Can you mm-hmm. tell us a bit about that? Well, um, interestingly, it's a far cry, and I laugh, a far cry from Christmas Hills because it's down in the Western Port. And so you so can Christmas imagine. Christmas Hills is where you have your. Christmas Hills is my, garden. my garden and my home. Um, so this is a little beach shack and it is a shack. Um, but of course, the soil. So the soil is a very sandy loam. We're just off, off the beachfront. So it's very sandy and beautiful. I mean, the fact that I can slide a, a shovel in, you know, 300 deep and nothing, mm. I don't hit anything. Just <laughs> throw it in the ground. Oh, it's just beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Um, but I just started my very first garden bed there and it's quite exciting. There's a, a property being built and uh, it's, yeah, I don't want to see it. But it's all um, wire fences everywhere, which is lovely because I think it's a little bit friendlier mm. than a big, you know, uh, timber fence. So I sort of started with it's about um, a metre deep to a metre and a half. It's just a little bit of a screening bed really. And um, so I started off on my hands and knees the other weekend uh, getting rid of the kaikuyu, as you can imagine. It was a bit of a toil. Mm. So I went along, got all of that cleared in the morning, and then I did bring a little bit of soil in because I did want to raise this bed. It's a little bit of a wet spot, but I know it will drain, so I'm not not particularly worried. My plant sort of selection was screening, and I started off with um, a lovely little Hardenbergia, Mima. And Mima is sort of, it's, it's light. It's a light green and it's light in its carriage. So it, that's going against the fence to just sort of weave through. It'll only really go up about six, seven hundred, and but it'll spread about two metres. Mm-hmm. But it still won't be heavy. And it's a long, narrow, pale green leaf. Mm. Really, really sweet, very fresh. Um, so that's sort of the back screen. And then as, as three lovely copper glow, um, leptospernum, yep. uh, so a lovely burgundy there, which is a little bit of a contrast with that light green behind. So three of those went in uh, and then the – and I'm sort of thinking about things, plants that are going to be happy together. And, and I mean, the hardenbergia and the leptospernum are going to be fine. They'll grow pretty much in anything. But I also thought, all right, I, I'm thinking of WA too. So we're not very local, but the um, the Albany woolly bush, mm-hmm. the adenanthus, which is um, a terrific plant, and I've, I do have it in oh, raised beds at home, but down there I think it'll be absolutely perfect. So I've sort of put that through as a mid, mid-story, which I'll, I will, I mean, I'm not going to prune it, prune it, but I'll keep it. You can keep them at a reasonable height too. I mean, they can go up to three metres. Which um, one did you put in? Um, uh, was it one of the dwarf one? Like? No, it's the um, Ceresius. Yep. 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 So Ceresius. And then I put in it Isopogon. So there's sort of about uh, six or seven of it. The bed is 
about oh, five or six metres long at this stage. So um, then I put in uh, this lovely isopogon. Which one is it? I've got a uh, formosus. Formosus, yeah, yeah the which, pink flower. The pink flower. So we've got a lot of winter, spring colour there too. And I sort of wanted to create um, with that beautiful burgundy of the copper glow. We've got that lovely colour there. Then we've got the light green at the back. Then weaving through that, the foliage contrast is what I really love too so you know with the adenanthus that beautiful soft silky mm. I mean they're sort of like a, a Japanese paintbrush you know they're so soft and beautiful fabulous in a vase too I love putting them in a vase they last so long ah, do you strip those lower leaves yep, off? just strip yep. the lower leaves and they they go in beautifully with isopogon mm-hmm. too when I sort of or leucodendron or those sort of things um so, and I've sort of just spotted, I think, about three of the isopogon through for a little bit of contrast colour. And once again, the foliage is quite different. I have got in mind just to do something quite a bit a little bit lower right along the front of it. Um, and that's it. Mm. Really simple. Um, lovely combinations of texture, colour, flower, because the copper glow is going to have that fabulous... It looks like snow, where, you know. I mean, the burgundy almost disappears. Yeah. And I have planted on another fence line down there, um, and it is just stunning. So that was my little bit of fun. And how will you keep the grass out of it? I have over? done quite a trench mm-hmm. around it. That's sort of my first port of call is just to get that, have that trench. So it's sort of sitting probably, I'd say, 250 300 high it's quite I've made it quite high because it is a little bit of a low spot there but uh, I think it'll just be a matter of yeah mowing and and down there I've actually got lawn I've not had a lawn before it's quite straight very (laughs) bushy garden Christmas Hill so um yeah it'll just be a little bit of keeping paying attention Mm -hmm. I think and you're down there often enough to Mm. keep an eye on it all and yeah get rid of those creeping stolons yes indeed and it's only a block mm. it's not 12 acres yeah very so. different <laughs> what what size property are you on Greg? uh three and a half acres okay yeah and is that all garden or is there a lot of bush i uh, like I, i've planted a lot of trees there mm-hmm. and they've been through lots of hardship and they're just starting to kick on mm-hmm. but my idea now is just to naturalize everything Yep. And maybe mow once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. Have woodland plants underneath my big tre- the trees that are now getting big. Yep. Um, I do enough gardening at work. I don't want to mm. yeah. <laughs> get home and do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, wilderness. Like as I say, creating an ecosystems the exciting part for me, where mm. you don't have to do much. Yeah. Um, I've got a what was a horse paddock, uh, which I'd really like to. Um, Renaturalizes indigenous grassland that I might even be able to burn myself and you know have a fun with that over the years. Fantastic. So, so there's a quite a big grassy area that I, yeah, actually I haven't mowed it this year yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, the idea would be to maybe edge it round so the fire can't escape and yep. just like burn little bits off and encourage the native grasses to grow back and yam daisies and see if I can't. Uh, recreate something that was there before we all were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and will yeah. you get in Indigenous fire experts to help you with that? Um, I'll probably just see if I can 
pick up as much stuff as I can first yep. and and maybe have a little bit of a go yep. and a muck around and, yep. and um, yeah, uh, and, yeah, just the, the main thing is trying to get the actual, like find out what the grassland there would have had in it and mm. see if I can source seeds and collect some from nature strips along around the area. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the soil that I'm on is it's a it's i'm on a volcanic slope and pretty much this soil's really good this particular volcano had really good soil mm-hmm. that it produced and if you drive around the area there's no remnant forest left on that at all there's no remnant grassland all that's left that you would be able to find are the little uh verges on the sides of the the um the dirt roads and the back roads um so yeah it's just a case of driving around those roads looking at grasses and yeah and uh, will you be recording this because i find that in landscaping that is one of my biggest things is that i never photograph enough and anything that changes from a paddock to what it should be or or anything i'm i'm going to look at a garden in warburton this week and with my sister and um that's what she's telling me, this with a paddock, and mm. they've transformed it over the last maybe 10 years. So I, are I, you recording it? I, I'd like to, but <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't started. I've got to start yeah, first. Yeah. But uh, I've got plenty of before photos. Yeah, um, great. 20, 20 years of before mm. photos. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's it's. I'll certainly, uh, you know, like I photograph a lot. I, I think I've got 10,500 posts on Instagram. <laughs> Mm. So, mostly so there's no shortage of uh, mostly of the working dog who's just lying there, <laughs> yeah, not Trixie working or at all. mushrooms or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to to document it in some way. Mm. Um, but I also need to start it because yes. that's mm. the yeah. So I think last year I I found a little uh, verge on one of the sides of the road there where I'm sure they're native grasses, and I'm not very good at identifying grass. Yeah. So, so that's the other tricky bit. Mm. Yeah. Um, but and I collected some of the seeds and mm. um, a, a few of the other little species that I thought were natives on the side of the road and had a, had a little spot at home that I threw the seeds down to yep. at least start introducing them. Yeah. And also there's a, a lot of the gum trees at home, uh, there, there was maybe 20 different gum trees at home when I moved in there 20 years ago and... About half of them are indigenous mm-hmm. to the area. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where the seeds were sourced, if they're actual ones from the area or yep. not, but they're indigenous species. And so trying to create around the base of those something a little more akin mm. to what they would have had when they were growing there before yep. uh, before it was developed. Um, and, you know, getting mushrooms and fungi companions in there. Yep. And, yep. yeah, just... Um, It'd be nice to have the garden. You know, I've got my in, uh, exotic trees and exotic plants underneath them, but also have a little patch of mm. blackwoods and <coughs> oblicas and yep. viminalis and mm. mushrooms and, and some wild grasses and things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then keeping, you know, it's always still that policy of keeping that exotic garden close to the home. Yeah. And, you know, you've just got to pair it out and let, let nature nudge. Yeah, a bit nudge, of nudging. Nudge nature. Bit of nudging. Yeah. That's yeah. it now, Greg. We're all into nudging. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, let's get to a couple of questions. Uh, Elizabeth has um, rung in saying, I have a mould problem in my garden that is spreading to my porch area and screen door. 
What are some methods for controlling mould? Hmm. Well, vinegar always comes to mind. Hmm. <coughs> yeah, I, I'm usually encouraging mould, so... Um. So Greg's not the, Greg's <laughs> not not the not one to be a good ask. Help. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Um, and I guess it sort of depends on what type of mould and mm. is yes. it making the area slippery? Is, is that sort of what the problem mm. is with it? I um, had a lot of mould on the steps in Hurstbridge last year mm-hmm. and my I, I, I did sort of vinegar and hot water and scrubbing brush and whatnot. It, it didn't seem to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it inhibited it for a certain amount mm. of time, but then um, I sold so maybe it's <laughs> someone else's problem. Someone now. else's problem. <laughs> but the vinegar um, is a really great way to go, I think, in, yeah. in general, because yeah. it's not going to really hurt anything no. else. No. Um, and depending on the surface, maybe a pressure washer. Yeah. Mm. They're, they're good fun to use too. Yeah. Although you get blasted in mould as well and grit and all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, pressure washers are. I kind of like using a pressure washer. <laughs> I've done so much pressure washing in my day. I'm sort of a little bit over it, but I always used to think, well, I'm going to have a bath mm. at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good, good for controlling algae on, on timber steps and things yes. like that. that yes. can get very slippery. And do not sort of put your hand in front of it. Yeah, hurts. Yes, it does, yeah. <laughs> I've been cleaning statues at Forest Glades, a couple of marble statues oh. with the pressure washer, yeah. and one of them's on quite a tall plinth, and you have to, I have to climb up on top of it with a ladder, and there's no room to walk around it, so I've literally got the pressure washer with one arm out, mm. full stretched, and the actual nozzle's right near my face as oh. I'm holding onto the statue yeah. that I'm cleaning. That sounds very dangerous, Greg. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of molluscs I used to fall into to break the fall, so <laughs> it's, the, the fall's not so bad, but... Uh, yeah, the, as you say, you get a bath and you get all the grit on you and, yeah, yeah. yeah it's full wet weather gear on a hot summer's day. Yeah. Uh, and, and you do seriously, they, they can really incur a, a really nasty, almost a burn. Mm. It's like a burn if you get sort of hit with a – so don't point them at don't, children. Don't wash stuff off your <laughs> hands you with one. you don't like the children. <laughs> so maybe a vinegar spray, sprayed on the area and then mm-hmm. follow up. With a bit of a yeah, I mean, of course, bleach pressure. bleach is going to sort of do the job as well. But as it's something a little bit more sympathetic, mm. um, the vinegar is always a good one. And you can hire those pressure. You can um, yes things, can't you? Gurneys, mm. gurneys, yeah. yeah. Okie dokie. Rosie from Mount Eliza has uh, just written in to say, "Oh my goodness, the Yarra Valley Plant Fair was so fabulous, and we had a wonderful time. Stephen was in magnificent form." Photos on our Facebook page and the weather was glorious. Now, Rosie, I don't know about this, but she says it was so much better than the Melbourne International Flower Show. Mm -hmm. I came back with all sorts of interesting plants, but the best was meeting all the other lovely garden-obsessed people. And, uh, yeah, so that's a thumbs up from Rosie by the sounds of it. Um, Now, someone else has written in, not sure who. My front yard is full of freesia bulbs and some type of wild strawberry. How can I get rid of them? Do I sculp the area? Mm. Um, uh, uh, Yeah, the the first question, like I'd actually, that sounds really nice. (laughs) (laughs) Freesia bulbs and uh, wild strawberries, I kind of like both of those things. Um, the scalping will help the strawberries, I guess, but um, to get rid of those. But it's not going to help the freesias because the bulbs no, are further bulbs. down into the, the ground. Are, 
Yeah. And if they've been there for a while, they're going to be da- – like it's surprising mm. how deep they can yeah, become. Yep. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you've got to get rid of the bulbs. Yeah. Um, like oxalis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Or what I'm fearful of is, is that maybe they're not freezers, they're, they're crocosmias or something, which mm. are much harder to get rid of. Um, yeah, so so – if you're scalping the surface, you're not going to get rid of the bulb that's a bit deeper down. So, uh, And depending on how big the area is, I mean, we've not really got much of an idea. So, mm. yeah. uh, Doing it by hand or getting in a yeah, bobcat. Getting, getting or in smothering, for, but that's a long, real long-term long term. thing, is to, yeah. to smother bulbs out by continually putting mulch on there and making yeah. sure the leaves don't hit the surface. Um, I mean, do you, do you poison? Um, I mean, that's still hit and miss because there's still going to be the bulbs that it won't translocate mm. to. Mm. So you'll it'll still come back. But um, yes, a, a small you know small excavator, um, or but I mean, are you going to create garden there? So well, and also if, if it's wild strawberries, it, it might be a little bit shady, and you don't want to be ripping up or damaging the roots of mm. any existing plants and trees there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a hard one. It's a, maybe more site-specific specific, yeah. that you'd have to look into yeah, to get a yeah. better option for that. Yeah, maybe contact a um, garden maintenance person, experienced yeah. garden maintenance mm. person the, the, in your area. The strawberries, could you could whip a snip or just hand pull, depending on the size of the area, mm. and you'd probably get rid of most of those pretty yep. easy. It's the, the bulbs. Uh, that will be the tricky ones to get rid of, yeah. And it does appear to be, um, talking about a garden maintenance person, it's harder and harder to get people mm. and people who are experienced and, yeah. It is, yeah. Very, heard very that, difficult. heard that a lot. So if you're thinking mm. about a, a change in career, <laughs> time <laughs> I mean, to I, move I, into I, garden look, maintenance. Once again, I've had fantastic – we've just had some work done with an arborist down at Tembi Point and uh, did the neighbours and then came over to us and there's a big tree that he was taking down that was dead but he is an absolutely obsessed with wildlife mm-hmm. and he creates um, possum boxes and was within the tree no this is another oh, one another one this Ooh. one and I found out his family which I didn't I didn't know I'd never met him but he ended up his family um, so I'm happy about that but he uh, took this tree down and he carved into the trunk. So the trunk was probably about <clears throat> 700 in diameter and he took it down to about four metres and then he carved within that a possum box mm-hmm. in the trunk. Beautiful. So, uh, And he did incredible work encouraging some trees to sort of push their foliage down as opposed to up. And it was fascinating watching him, yeah. like such a perfectionist mm. in every respect. So, mm. yeah, fantastic. Yeah, good Good mm. arborists are definitely worth every cent. They mm. are, yep. People go, oh, I'm not paying that. But if someone's passionate about their, their arboring... If anyone says, oh, do you know an arborist? You go, do you want to drop a tree or, or <laughs> yeah. make it better? Mm. And then that's... Yeah. yeah, I mean, you still don't want to go super cheap if you're dropping a tree because it might fall on something. But yeah. um, the, the, as you say, this if you just want to take a tree out, mm. you can get uh, – there's a, a few lopper. arborists around. Yeah. But yeah. if you want to look after a tree, mm. they're much harder to find an arborist mm. that'll, uh, that knows what's going on 
in that species of tree yes. as well, like knows their the genuses and species of different mm. things and how they react and how to prune it, you know, one tree from another. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We recently had a massive branch drop from our um, eucalyptus polyanthemus, and like the branch itself was bigger than a lot of trees, and um, luckily it missed all the dead plants in the garden and got the live ones. So that, <laughs> that was good. But we, our arborist who Loretta knows as well, um, Dan. What's Dan's surname? Hart. Hart. Dan Hart. Yeah, Daniel Hart. He came in and same type of deal. Very habitat focused and also. Um, looking at the branch from a health point of view and what should be taken off to take a bit of pressure off it. And um, in our place, we were mindful with the remaining tree. Um, A lot of possums use it as a highway, and so he was very mindful of that and how much got taken off. And by the time he finished uh, cleaning up the tree, you actually couldn't tell that it had been Mm. pruned. it but it just somehow looked cleaner and better and mm. you know that we've helped the health of the tree essentially yeah. Yeah. and then while he was there he uh, looked at a few other trees that were um, starting to get a little bit dangerous and you know what what they can do climbing up you know if you wouldn't watch if you were their mother I'm sure because yep. you just have your heart <laughs> in your mouth the whole time but uh, yeah, I think they've got to be a little bit crazy. These people that um, <laughs> do this do this work, but they really are worth but, their weight in gold. And as you say, it's yeah. a rare combination of having someone crazy enough to do that, but yep. in love enough with the trees to do an amazing to job. To do a good job, it's even to, a rarer breed. Exactly to mm. really put thought into it. And he is a bit of an extreme sports person he as well. Is, yeah. yeah, he likes his extreme sports. Yeah. <laughs> no it goes hand in glove. Absolutely, and and I love that while he's up there, he talks to himself. Now, if I throw that rope over there, then that's going to make that branch do that, and then if I come down here, then I'll be able to swing through here. And, <laughs> and you're like, you you okay up there? Uh, but yeah, no, very good, very happy with Dan. Um, so Loretta, you've been wandering around Hurstbridge lately, and I have. Um, yeah, tell me what you have I discovered. I have just discovered um, the local hub, Hurstbridge hub has got fabulous um, vegetable garden wicking beds and that have grown. I mean, as in the beds have appeared and appeared and appeared, these wicking beds. I um, Maybe there might be some photographs up on the up online um, on the 3CR. Um, Insta and Facebook. Insta, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, wandering through there and just having a look and seeing that there are also lots of veggies that can go in too at the moment. And I was going, oh, this is great. And I think one of the things I really enjoyed seeing um, the Asian veggies, that a lot of Asian veggies can go in Mm -hmm. now. But looking at the general, um, I I think people today, we're, we're looking at the fact that it's part of the fundamental building of a community. And this is an open vegetable garden area it's got little signs saying oh you know things that are growing but don't pick me yet because I've got a bit more growing to do so you're informing the community as well but it's also got a little seed bank which I think is fantastic so you can come and take seeds donate seeds Um, it's just lovely to walk around and see here you are in the public domain and uh, there's vegetables for everyone and you showed me photos and it looks so beautifully maintained Mm. It's really beautifully maintained and every bed is full and there'd be at least a dozen beds. Um, In amongst that there are herb 
gardens as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I noticed they were also putting in companion planting um, with all the veggies, mm-hmm. which is lovely to see too. So, yeah, so was, some little flowering marigolds and things like that. Um, well, um, aquilegia. Oh, lovely. Um, what else? There was sort of all sorts. I can't even remember now, but yesterday morning, a long time ago. Um, so, yeah, it was just lovely just to see the companion planting and the fact that the hub is also a um, childcare centre um, and the kids, local kids could do basketball there as well. So mm-hmm. the children are all getting exposed to this uh, in amongst um, the old building. It was an old school. It was the old Hurstbridge High School and it burnt down many years ago um, and it wasn't rebuilt. And it, it turned into the community hub, which mm. is really lovely. Uh, they've planted a lot of native plantings around the buildings, a lot of Coriolba and mm-hmm. grasses and various things. And they've also put in um, a lake system by the creek. Mm-hmm. Uh, so walking, beautiful walking area in general. And then they've got heavily, um, heavy original forest right through there, a lot of Imolaris and... But I was saying to AB earlier, I put my phone on recording um, a video because of the bird life yesterday. Mm. I, I mean, my my ears are just sort of bursting with how many different sounds I was hearing. But it's the creek as well as, yeah, you know, yep. these huge trees. And so, yeah, it was a beautiful walk. I took twice as long as I should have. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Listening to birds. Mm. And, yeah, beautiful. Mm. So there's lots to go in the veggie garden. Presently, there, we there sort is, of, yes. You sort of think, oh, you know, after the big, you know, crop of summer, but no, there's lots to go in. Yeah, all those Asian greens, as you say. Asian and, greens. Yep, garlic. Yep, broad beans, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, and still herbs of coriander, yeah. um, lettuce, um, kale, uh, what else? And, and a lot of companion planting. I've sort of um, delphiniums and foxgloves, mm-hmm. poppies, pansies, aquilegia. So onions, peas, yep. radishes can still go in, um, leeks, parsnip. What so are you going to put in your garden? I know oh. you, you just you've uh, organised the raspberries. Yeah, I've took, taken them out. Yep. Um, I'm going to put in one a big area. I'm going to put do a big garlic patch, mm-hmm. which I'd like to do. I've put in some baby spinach and some broccoli, um, spring onions. I'm still pulling out. My tomatoes, because mm-hmm. they took so long to fruit. Oh, yes. Um, but I'm, they're coming out this week. They have to, but, yeah. I was sort of – it took so long for them to fruit this year, and I think everyone's been talking about the tomatoes. And uh, I thought, I just – there's a couple left, and I might be able to <laughs> – they might ripen. Yeah, my brother – another 30-degree day for, yeah. <laughs> for the end of the season. My brother grew – uh, there's up right up against the house. He puts attached some Rio to the house, or about twenty centimeters off the house, and they just went gangbusters. Mm. So. It, it's that reflective heat, yeah. Mm. And you know, like a lot of citrus, really love that reflective heat off a, a wall. And yeah, I I don't have that, but yep. sounds good. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. All right, let's go to Jim in Brighton. Hi, Jim. Thanks for hanging on. That's, that's all right. Um, good morning. I have a smoke bush that runs along our front fence. It's about four metres high. And last October, all the leaves were, we suspect, were eaten, the the new growth, by presumably possums. Is that that likely? Is that what could happen to this particular tree? 
Yeah, absolutely, potentially. Mm. Uh, okay. But uh, so you did you get out there and have a close-up look and make sure it wasn't caterpillars, larva of something? No, no, no. There's a there's a power line. That there's a, across to the other side of the road from us is a um, electric pole, and there's a power line that comes across to our house, and it's about just above the height of the tree, and I just presumed that it was a possum or possums that were doing this because it's a eucalypt across there on the other side of the road. So I presume there are possums living in this tree. Do you think it could be caterpillars? Potentially. It's, I mean, it's really Some, hard Something's to eating it. Yeah. Yes, we know that. Yeah, something. Yeah. something um, it's always good to get a bit of a close-up view and try and work it out. But also rats. I mean, there's yeah, always there's, that There's lots of things out there yeah. eating things. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the, the so it's a, a cotton smoke bush, was it? Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, the one good thing is that they actually really like a prune, mm. so you, yes. you can really hack into those, and they'll actually look better. I actually think it, it, you lose the flowers mm. for uh, uh, the first. I think the flowers tend to be on the slightly older growth, mm-hmm. so it won't, might not flower for a year or so. But the foliage you will get on it will more than make up for the lack of flowers for the next few years. They get these 100%. beautiful, much bigger leaves and yep. uh, absolutely stunning-looking plant uh, when you coppice them. So that's an option okay. to, to maybe right. get well, it back we, to health. All right. Well, we, we have pruned it, you know, and we know that it does grow back. But I think what we'll do is we'll give it a really big prune soon and um, just see what happens next. Um well, spring. Yeah, it, it'll definitely come back at least. Um, okay. But that doesn't necessarily stop the problem if whatever ate them last year comes back and has another go at them. Mm. Well, we'll pay closer attention next next time when it gets new growth. Yeah, and do you think that um, whatever's get going for it, let's say it's a possum, um, it's coming from above, it's got access yes. to sort of crawl okay? Because, I mean, sometimes if something's coming up the trunk, you can do things to the trunk. Mm. Um, yes. But if, if it's coming from upper level... And that might the pruning might help that a little bit too. Mm. If you reduce the height of it, That's you might right. lose yep. the, uh, the highway. Mm. The, if they're mm. possums, they'll yep. lose their highway into yep. it. Yeah. And it will be happy. I'm totally agreeing with Greg. I, I'm, if pruning a cottonus is, I mean... I'm sorry, AB, but I, I really I get excited about what will come from it because mm. it really just will burst. Mm. Those leaves are stunning. Yeah. Stunning. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's a beautiful tree. Yeah, good. Okay, well, thanks very much for that. Nice. Good on you, Jim. Have a good Sunday. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, one thing I should mention uh, that I didn't realise, the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society have got their autumn show on today. Um, mm. So that's from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. today, featuring hydrangeas, autumn foliage, proteas, and autumn flowering bulbs. So that's the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society in uh, Sassafras? I think so. Up there yep. somewhere? Yeah. Yep. yeah, I know where it is, yeah. but I don't know they where do, it is. They do, they do have a website, so you could hop on their website and have a look. Um, yeah, didn't know about that one. Sorry about that. Um, all right, what else is going on? Um, not much, really. Um, anything fungi happening up at yeah, Essendon? Yeah, the fu- it must be starting to... So the uh, after the wet sort of start to the season and reasonably wet autumn that we've had so far, mm-hmm. um, it looks like it's going to be a good season for, for the uh, native fungi out in the forest. Mm-hmm. So I've... Uh, Actually, haven't had much too many chances 
to get out there so far this season, but hopefully this afternoon I'll be heading out up into the forest at Mount Masson and uh, just disappearing into the woods for a couple of hours maybe and Mm -hmm. seeing if I can find some interesting little fungi. Um, But, yeah, it's it's so nice just being out Mm. in the forest and it's it, it ticks the same boxes as what when I was collecting bulbs as, except I don't have to look after them or repot them. Yeah, I just yeah. go out in the forest and <laughs> yeah. go, oh, look, there's that one. Yeah. <laughs> You've got some beautiful leaves there, I must say. What a yeah, collection. What, yeah, so on? I wondered to what bringing in for the uh, to bring in today, um, and I've given away most of my bulb collection. So there's I've still got stuff, but it's um, less interesting and. There's not always stuff there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought I'd just whip around the garden and get some Pretty collections leaves. of leaves. So um, uh, I've got uh, a crab apple, which is uh, Malus chinoski, I think it's pronounced, and it's a beautiful upright crab apple. Um, the foliage comes out a silvery, sort of soft, velvety, silvery colour. Um, very pointy, upright, but not a column. It's more of a teardrop-shaped uh, upright spike, uh, quite reasonably large leaves. Uh, it does flower and fruit, but I couldn't tell you what they look like because I don't – It's so it's not one that you mm. grow for the flowers and fruit, but yep. it does flower and fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the foliage on it though. And just on the one, the, these, the leaves, these leaves here are all off the same tree mm-hmm. um, and you've got everything from almost a black burgundy uh, – through oranges to yellow, and, uh, and there's still a little bit of green on the tree as well. Not only on the same tree, but at the same time. So at I'm the assuming same time. you picked those. Yeah, I picked these last today. night yeah. at about eleven yeah. o'clock Incredible. last night. Um, the only thing it does when it colours up that I don't like is the top of the tree colours first, and then it slowly moves down the tree. Uh-huh. So by the time the colour gets to the bottom of the tree, mm-hmm. the top of the tree is completely denuded. So right. you don't get that colourful oh. spike, teardrop mm-hmm. shaped spike. Mm-hmm. You get this thing as it moves down the very tree. Very ungrateful it, it, of yeah, you, yeah. Greg. Very ungrateful. <laughs> it's still really pretty, though. It's, it's, a, it's a lovely tree. Um, I've also got the sugar maples. Uh, so when I first uh, moved into home 20 years ago plus, um, I thought I'd make my own maple syrup at some stage because I'm uh, a bit of a sweet tooth. Yeah. So I planted all my sugar maples and then about, Ten years after I planted them, realised that you need a certain amount of weeks under four degrees to actually get the sap flowing to a point where you could tap it. Um, and there's Greg out there with a straw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, and, and a so, so it's never going to work. Plate. It's never going to work. Um, but the other thing was, is I realised that they're all seed ro- seed raised sugar maples, mm. and early on, I'm th- I-, I wanted you know, a nice avenue of trees up my driveway because there's, uh, I think there's 20-something trees, uh, you know, 10 or so either side. And I thought if they're grafted, they'll all colour up at the same time. It'll be a big show. And I'm so thankful they were all seed raised because now I've got, um, you know, 20-odd trees that have slightly different colours that Mm. colour up at slightly different times of slightly different shapes. Mm. Some are a bit too close to a pine tree, so it's stunted, and another one's... You know, the water must slow down in the gutter as it flows past so it gets more water and it's really big. Yep. And I really appreciate the fact that mm. I wasn't too dramatic about making sure they're all straight trunks and mm-hmm. they're yep. all grass and they're all colour up at the same time. And it's like I'm, 
I can appreciate now that yep. the variety of those yeah. that those seedlings offer and the shapes and sizes, I'd much prefer that than an avenue of, you know, even those Identical. brightest red lipstick maples. Yep. I'd much mm. prefer these. They're all different colours. Yeah, they colour up at different times and it's just a bit more interesting. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. But I won't get maple syrup off them, Ever? unfortunately. I don't think so. <laughs> as I say, as far as I'm aware, it needs below four degrees, yep. so daytime temperature below four degrees oh, okay. for something like four weeks. Right. Um, and we just don't get that, yeah. Have to move to mm. Canada. Yeah, or higher altitudes maybe. Yeah. yeah. Move up to the top of Mount Buffalo or something. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just for maple syrup. <laughs> yeah. It's dedication. Yep. Um, do you want me to do a couple more? Yeah, actually let's go um, to Valene in Briar Hill. Uh, good morning, Valene. How are we? <laughs> Hello. Did I pronounce your name correctly? You did. Oh, good. Very good. Thank How you. can we help you? Uh, I've got a stick tree. I think it's a Genoa. It's out in the uh, full sun. It's looking healthy and everything. But the fruit seems to be dry. How do you get the – what does it need to the, the, to make the fruit – like, yeah. When you open it, uh, it's just really dry. Or do you take them off and let them ripen? How do you – what do you do? Well, I've got the same problem. Oh. <laughs> Remember my... Oh, yes. My, Yours yep. is sort of in a pot, though, although it has gone into the ground. Yeah, it's in the it? ground, yeah. but it's, yeah, still rubbish fruit. Is it a yeah. potassium thing? Might be, yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Have you fed it, um, Valene? No, no. It, it seems it's quite large, it's healthy. I haven't thought it... Yeah, it didn't... Yeah, so no, I haven't fed it, but I'll try... I'll try for it, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be feeding the soil okay. a bit and mm. um, yeah. give, okay. giving it a bit of a regime, um, just improving the soil, a bit of seaweed for through autumn and, uh, yeah, maybe even prune it a bit. How large is it? Uh, about three, three metres. I have pruned it. I can, I'll constantly prune it. <laughs> okay, yep. <laughs> Terrific. Yeah, okay, it's, and a quick one on. Sorry, go. Oh no, yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, it often comes down to a um, obviously a lack of particular nutrient, and I think if yeah. um, our friend Ben from Treasured Perennials was here, yeah. he'd give us a really mm. good rundown. So I might actually um, put that to him next time he's on. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say it's a food thing, and yeah, just keeping up a sort of um, even water when it's been a bit drier, although, I mean, they don't mind it when it's a little bit drier, but, mm. uh, yeah, I'd get some fertiliser onto it. Oh, terrific. Will do. Thank you. And a quick question on camellias. They're not mine. A um, friend's camellias, they're very tall, they're quite old. They're on the east side in Templestowe, and they sort of, they, they're reaching up towards the sun because they only get the morning sun and then the rest of the uh, rest of the day is shade so they've reached up past the guttering to get all the sun and the and but down below the foliage is bare i'm not sure how to <clears throat> and it, the the foliage down below is starting to brown off does that is that normal through winter or does it and then just comes back alive when it no it, it, no, it's, if no. It, are they struggling <laughs> if there's a light issue down underneath the plants will just drop the leaves off and they'll become bare where there's not oh, enough sunlight. Right. So if yeah. it's if they're really crowded and there's no, it's quite dark underneath. They'll just all the leaves that aren't getting enough sunlight will just drop off. Ah, uh, okay. So there's no recovering all that. Well, there there is. There's just uh, like one option, which is a pretty high 
um, not high risk, but uh, it'll make the garden look a lot different, is you can prune them all back down. Um, Ooh, most camellias grow pretty well, regrow from old wood. Oh. Uh, so you can hack into them quite a lot. But okay. I think I mentioned before about the roadies, sometimes you hack into one and it's just like, nah, and it's yeah. gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh. um, oh. But usually not. Uh, right. okay. So, you know, and another option is to make sure you leave some green leaves on it. So if you want to st- stick your toe in the water of uh, brutal, severe pruning is mm. um, leave a couple of branches on it and just take most of them off, see if it reshoots somewhere. And once you've got buds further down that you know are going to regenerate, then you can take the rest of the stuff off. Ah. But that would be one ah. way to get the the light back down yeah. to the bottom of the plants. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Terrific. All right. That's fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Have a good Sunday, Jill. Thanks Thanks for calling in. Bye-bye. Oh, sorry. That wasn't actually Jill. We are going to Jill now. Hi, Jill. Oh, hi. How are you? Good. Um, Yeah. I was at uh, Forest Glade Gardens yesterday afternoon with the Croydon Garden Club. We had a, a lovely time there. And we were trying to identify one of the flowers. Um, I think it was as you went up past the Peony Walk to the conservatory, very orchid-like, small flowers, um, whitish background, little speckles and blotches on it of, of a purpley colour. Can you think what that was? I can't. I'm just trying to picture where that... Um, so you've come up the, the Peony Walk pathway and you've turned yeah. right onto the... The big drive, the top driveway. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was on the Peony Walk or across the top on the con- past the conservatory. I think it was right. on the Peony Walk. Um, there were also some blue flowers, which I thought were probably monkshood, but I'm not sure about that. There, there's definitely some macanitums up the top there, the monkshoods. So um, it was in that area, and they unfortunately they they're spread around a lot. The monkshood because I dug up a lot of them a couple of years ago to use in another border, so they're sort of all over the place. Mm. I can't, oh, okay. I can't pitch. Oh, I think I know what you might mean. Actually, it's a thing called tricertus, a toad lily. Okay. Um, so if they've sort of, uh, uh, yeah, white flowers with pink speckles on them. Yeah, I think I, there's definitely some up along the the Peony Walk. Uh, so it's uh, I think it's Tricertus formosa, but I can't remember. I used to grow it in my nursery, um, okay. but it's a yeah, while it ago something now. Something that none of us had ever seen before, and we couldn't identify. Mm. It, so. so they're a really good woodland plant. They uh, have sort of uh, rhizomatic sort of roots underneath the ground. Uh, die down in winter, especially once it gets cold. Um, and flower around, you know, from late summer through to autumn. Uh, I think the common name's toad lily, and the genus name's Tricertus, oh. and I think it's Tricertus formosa. Um, they should be easy to get from maybe Antique Perennials or Stephen Ryan or Craig Wilson. I'm sure there'd be other nurseries that have it too. Mm. Um, mm, as I used to sell it in the nursery as well, and it's, yeah, really nice little woodland uh Ground cover, they can get quite tall too. They can get up to a metre and they a half tall sometimes, tall, yeah. Yeah, because mm. yeah, I wouldn't have thought toad lily because they were so tall. Yeah. Um, yeah, would they grow in Croydon? I'm not sure. As I say, they're a woodland, a woodland plant mm. from Asia. I can't see why not. I'm, I grew them in pots really well. So you can always just try growing them in a pot and you can sort of shift yeah. the pot around if they're not happy and find the spot for them. Um, 
and you know if you bought a six inch pot of them it wouldn't cost too much and if it wasn't successful you could give it away to someone who might have some more success with it with it um but they're they're really lovely um and you can get uh, there's often speckles on the leaves too uh, especially when they're younger um and there's probably different varieties i'm not sure what's available in australia though okay well thank you it's nice to have it identified no worries fantastic all right thanks so much jill thank you all right bye bye Okie dokie. Um, Daniel has sent us a text saying, I very much enjoyed all the stories shared this morning. Listening to the garden show helps me feel connected to the garden community. Thank you. So thank you, Daniel, for taking mm. the time to write in. That's yeah. we, we are a nice sharing bunch, aren't we? We like we it. We really are. Yes. Um, I like it. And Paul has also texted in saying, Morning all. Advice, please, on how to best revive slash feed an old three meter tree fern in the garden the fronds are only about 50 centimeters long it's healthy but not thriving so for me that would be about moisture and light uh, if it's getting too much sun on it and if it's not uh, really tree ferns pretty much need moist shady conditions and Um, no hot winds no hot winds yeah, yeah so it might not be in the right spot mm. um, or maybe something's changed maybe the microclimate has changed the branches come down and it's a bit more exposed now something like that but essentially you want to create a soil that's moist uh, compost mulch um, yeah keep the moisture up through the warm or any of the dry times really and um, move it if it's not in the right spot mm. Yeah. They don't mind a bit of sea salt in the crown either, I found. Okay. Just like pour a cup of neat sea salt in the crown. Neat? Yeah. Just oh, my goodness. Whack it in there. and uh, um, There was one that was shifted up at Forest Glade that didn't like being shifted. And um, it had dropped its fronds. So it, on a hot day, the fronds mm. had just sagged down to the ground. Mm. And um, I started off by putting mixed sea salt in it. And yep. then one day I had a little bit left in a bottle you and thought, was in a rush mate. or something and I just dumped, <laughs> dumped, dumped about half a cup of uh, sea salt in the crown oh, and it just stayed a bit chirpy after that, yeah. So that every time I'd put the normal, like, diluted sea salt mm-hmm. in it, it'd pick up and then mm-hmm. the next hot day it'd, it'd wilt down again. Um, so I thought I'd just, yeah, put the neat stuff in there and, and uh, Stiff it didn't, drink. It didn't <laughs> wilt after that so much, yeah. Fantastic. Mm. All right, well, let's get back to some leaves, Greg. All right. Um, why not? I'll, I think I've bought this plant in a couple of times. It's a, it's a dogwood. It's Cornus sanguineus, mm-hmm. um, coral stem dogwood. So it's like the uh, Cornus albosiberica, the, the red stem dogwood, except this one is bright orange and also bright yellow mm-hmm. and sometimes bright red as well, uh, all on the same plant. Uh, I coppice mm. these, so you get multiple healthy stems coming up from the base. Um, and I grew up from seed imported from Canada when you could import seeds mm-hmm. from places like Canada mm-hmm. um, and or seed company in Canada. Uh, and, yeah, so the other thing that I'd never p- really paid much attention to is the autumn colour on it. And it's the most beautiful soft yellow with these sort of uh, little red speckles on some of the leaves or red Mm. shading on some of the leaves. Mm. Uh, And as brilliant as it looks in winter when it's got its, when all that's left are these bright coral coral canes, 
is at this stage in autumn where you've got the brightness of the stems, but you've also got these beautiful soft buttery yellow leaves and yep. with little splotches of red on it. Really pretty plant. Hmm. Um, it's not that readily available. I've been, I tried to sell it when I had the nursery and I'm trying to get people like Don Teese and mm-hmm. uh, Finn from Autumn Joy Nursery access to cuttings to try and keep it in there because it yep. really doesn't like getting... Uh, they're easy to grow from cuttings mm-hmm. and they're easy to grow in pots, but they don't like the transition from pots to ground. Mm. And there's a lot of loss when, uh, so the seedlings that I grew were quite uh, really happy in my soil mm. yep. uh, and I can grow them from cuttings. But when I try and plant them out, I planted about six out at Forest Glade last year, big, tall, mm. eight inch pot, healthy plants, and none of them even grew leaves. Mm. So they didn't even grow leaves and then have a bad year and slowly die. They just didn't pop out any mm. leaves at all. Um, and I haven't quite figured that out yet why they do that. Mm-hmm. Really nice plant, though. So does it have that colour stems the whole way through? No, no. So they're sort of green most of the season. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and then as we're getting towards autumn, they'll get a yellowish tinge to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the other thing they do, too, is if you walk, especially once the leaves have fallen off, mm. if you walk around it, it changes colour. Because yeah, the north side where the sun hits more goes orange mm-hmm. and the south side where the sun hit less stays yellow. Yeah. And that's where the sort of coral stem. So as you walk around it, it actually changes colour. Fantastic. So, um, and then closer up to the tips, it's, it, it usually is, goes orange and then maybe even red all the way around. Mm-hmm. So as I say, it's sort of from a distance it's all one colour, but as you get closer and move around it, you can mm-hmm. see that there's more than one colour involved in its in, in in the stem colour. Um, but, yeah, it, it'd be good to know what the trick is to get them from pots out to the ground at a better success rate because mm. the other coloured stem dogwoods are actually really easy. They're yeah. almost a bit weedy, in fact. It's, <laughs> it's interesting. When I was on uh, – went to Lady Elliot Island in October last year and they, um, they've got a massive reveg project going on up there and they grow their seedlings in bags – in the ground so the bag is actually half buried in the mm. ground and then when they're ready to go out they essentially sort of just rip them out and put them just remove the bags yeah. and put them straight in so they've already got that root system that's sort of going into the ground i wonder if that could be a yeah. situation where that mm. would work. Yeah. i mean a bit trickier i guess especially if you're taking them from the, from a nursery yeah. mm. but if you're doing it at home you know it's, it'd be interesting to figure it out because as like i've do them in cutting pots. I'll put like 20 cuttings in an 8-inch pot. I tap them out and pull them apart, bare-rooted, pot them in 8-inch pots mm. and they take off yep. for that year. Yeah. And then I carefully tap them out of the 8-inch pot and carefully place them in the ground and they don't even send out foliage like a month mm. later. They just, just die in the ground. And um, mm. it's baffling. I, like I'm baffled you know by what? it. I reckon you should put some soil in the pots. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Because it could be something chemical in their roots, which is growing perfectly happily in the potting mix, but as soon as it detects that yeah. different soil type. Mm. It, I, the other thing is it's in different soil types too. So I've had given some to, I think I um, gave one to Matt from Antique Perennials and mm. it died on contact with soil. And yeah, uh, yeah, I've given them to a f- like few people who know much better than I do how to grow plants and they're like, oh, no, it just fizzled out and died. <laughs> very like, interesting yeah um so anyway they're good tub specimens and uh maybe i should grow them as i say the seedling ones i grew which are the ones i'm taking that, that that's what that's cut off mm. um 
they're quite tough plants. And I do, once you get them going in the ground, they're fine. Yeah. It can just take a couple mm. of years to get them going. You I, wouldn't yeah. start them in the ground? Yeah, I don't think they're, they're not that easy from cuttings. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I think you need a misting. Um, there's certain things you that are better, you know, for that. Uh, like a red stem dogwood, you could probably just stick in a muddy ground mm, yeah. and it's probably going to mm. grow roots. I don't think these would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they're still not hard to grow from cuttings. I don't think they're that easy though. Yeah. It's probably if, worth a try though. If you didn't coppice it, what's its natural habit? Is it single I stem think, or stalk? Yeah, most of those coloured stem dogwoods, are what you would sort of probably describe as a large sprawling shrub. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like a red st- – I remember seeing a red stem dogwood that had never been cut and it was probably about five or six metres tall and about eight metres wide mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. had quite a sprawling, lanky, mm. pretty unattractive habit. Mm. Um, and I'm pretty sure this would be that but on a slightly smaller scale. So multi-stemmed, uh, wiry sort of arching habit and mm-hmm. probably a dome shrub. Um Definitely worth coppicing. How right old was yours when you coppiced it or when you started coppicing? Uh, probably about three years old. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And it was mainly just to get cuttings off them. Yeah. Because <laughs> I wanted more. Um, but they're probably about 12 years old now or 15 mm-hmm. years old. And I cut them to about somewhere between knee and waist height. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the season, they're, you know, well up over my head. Yeah. Um. And as I say, the, the red stem dogwoods would grow a little bit faster, mm-hmm. so that these are a bit smaller than those. But um, uh, I wish I had to plant them in a better spot too, because mm. and I don't want to shift them now in case they die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so which variety was it? Uh, Cornus sanguineus. Sanguineus. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Yeah. All right. Any other leaves there or anything? We'll do leaves. Oh, this has got an interesting story, I guess. Um, this is a. a Maple I grew from seed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it is. I need to see Don Tees because he'll be able to tell me what it is, hopefully. Uh, they look. It looks a little bit like a sycamore but much smaller growing. Mm-hmm. Um, they get uh, a, a yellowy, uh, even yellow colour, but it's got brown speckles on it. And when you look at the individual leaf, it's not that impressive. It actually just doesn't look that good at all. But on the tree, sometimes you get that orange speckling makes the tree look a rusty orange colour. Mm-hmm. So overall, the tree looks actually really pretty autumn colour. It's just yep. when you pick it off, it's like a yellow with brown spots on yeah. it. Um, but the the tree I got the seed from is a friend's place in Kerry, in the Kerry Valley on Mount Macedon. And it would have been planted in maybe the 1860s or 1870s. And as I say, it looks a little bit like a sycamore. It doesn't seed like a sycamore. Um, slightly smaller growing. And it's just an odd tree. You just sort of look at it and you go, There's, you just assume it's a sycamore, but mm. um, once you start looking at it, it is, it's different. Yep. Um, so I'd love to find out the name of this one. Uh, but the tree I picked this leaf off and I've got another seedling at home that I probably uh, would have germinated maybe 15 years ago and they're just getting up to uh, maybe four or five metres tall now. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're just starting to get into a small tree and have autumn colour. Yep which most of my garden's finally doing after Beautiful. after all that time. Um, but, yeah, it's just one of those trees where I know it's something different So, and I managed to get one or two growing from seed. So um, it's like trying to track down is it is it something a bit special or is it 
like a weird form of sycamore or yeah yeah <laughs> so, um yeah get onto someone who knows yeah mm. yep while while you still think of it um all right well that is probably all we have time mm-hmm. for today, unfortunately. Yeah. So I would first of all like to thank Greg Balderston and Loretta Childs for coming thank in you. and sharing you. your lovely knowledge. knowledge and information. Always an absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks so much to Jacob for producing the show today. Uh, very good. And thanks also to Liz for doing our socials. We'll be um, putting up, and when I say we, Liz will be putting up um, some photos on Instagram and, and Facebook so you can have a look at what we've been talking about and um so until next week thank you so much for listening and bye bye for now you've been listening to a 3cr podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3cr in melbourne australia for more information go to all the w's.3cr.org.au